Hello, Retro Gamers. It's Diego here. I am in Finland as usual. The sky is clear. Is it hot? It's been fairly hot, but not in the last couple of days, I must say. It's been raining very often. Now it's sunny, but quite pleasant. 20-something degrees. Oh. My favorite. How about you? Yeah. Here it's very, very, very hot in England. So we have higher temperatures than Spain. So there you go. It's really hot. We've got swimming paddling pool out for the kids, and I'm going to go in it later on this afternoon because it's very, very hot. About 38 degrees. Mm. No rain. Be careful. Take all your precautions. I'm going to go on holiday soon, and I am waiting to get into the sea and swimming pool in this weather, so I can't wait for that. I know you've been on holiday already. Oh, yes. yes. Have you been? I have been to the seaside here on the Baltic Sea. Sounds cold. Yes, I know by your standards, this would have been really cold. I think it was about 25 degrees the air, 20 degrees the water. Mm, not for but, me. Not but, for me. Right. <laughs> yes, I know you. I I think for me, twenty five is the perfect weather. I feel I felt really great on the beach, but the water, that's another matter. I I really can't stand cold water. I hate cold showers. Uh, no, that really really, and uh, I did manage to swim this time. But it must have taken like half an hour just to get into it, into the water one centimeter at a time. It was, it was really too cold for me. I don't know how my kids can manage. They just throw themselves into the sea and they're fine. <sighs> and when they, when they get out, that's when they are like trembling and they want to, to get the towels immediately. And for me, it's like the other way around. The cold is, it's like a little bit of a torture. <laughs> But then when I got out, uh, I didn't need any towel, didn't need to dry up. It was just fine to stay there in, in, the, in the sun and the wind because it's also pretty windy over there. Mm. But uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that at least I succeeded at one swim. It wasn't usually the case in the past years. But I remember you coming over to my flat in Italy and it was New Year's Eve and it was minus, I don't know, five degrees outside and you were staying outside on the balcony with just a t-shirt and like, I think you you have acclimatized, acclimatized to the Finnish weather. Yeah, yeah, yes. As, as I said, I really don't have much problems with the cold air at all. It's the water. And this no. was the Baltic Sea. There were people swimming without problems, but... I have also tried the Arctic Sea. God, oh, man, that <laughs> no way. I just dived my feet a little bit there and then said, no, no way. But it must have been the shortest swimming in history ever. <laughs> like seconds, literally. No, no. Impossible for me. They say it's quite good for your body to receive a shock every now and again. Like it prolongs, it, it stimulates the growth. No, it stimulates your body's repair system. Um, but I can't do it. 
I, I can believe that's the case. I, I also have some physiotherapist friends who recently were telling us like a month ago exactly about some cold therapy uh, or even just uh, the habit of doing cold showers that it's very beneficial. Yeah, but I'd, I'd rather do something else. <laughs> yes. We'd rather play a game. Oh, oh well. Oh, well, of <laughs> course. Say that. Yes, so I, I did have a plan. I planned for this to have a little gaming moments even during the holidays. I usually don't want to bring hardware around. Uh, I, I would say that probably with portables like Game Boy or Nintendo DS, something like that, that's of course a very good choice when you're traveling. But in my case, I just had the Scum Virtual Machine installed on my Android. Have you used that yourself? Uh, I don't have an Android phone. I have an iOS phone, and I am not sure I can download the, the Scum VM. For sure, it's, it would work, but I'm not sure if Apple allows it on the App Store. I would have to check. Okay, I'm, I'm not really familiar because I never had iPhones in my life. But I know that the Scum Virtual Machine is a, is a very portable software and uh, it works on PlayStation Portable. It works on Nintendo DS, on basically every desktop operating system. So I would bet it also works on iOS. On, on your iPhone, you should you should try because uh, it's it's become my favorite holiday or travel companion for gaming. Yes, I can definitely yeah. check it out and see if they allow it. Um, but I, I I don't I don't think they do. Well, I I have an Android and I can say it works pretty well on it. And for me, it started off when a few years ago it's it saved my life on a day where I got stranded in an airport. Uh, I was traveling with my wife. We were coming back from holiday and uh, we, we missed the second plane of the flight. So we had like 10 hours stranded somewhere with uh, almost nothing to do. And I had it with me on my phone. And that's actually when I finally finished The Secret of Monkey Island that I had never finished. <laughs> When I was younger, when it was back in the day, I had a faulty version of it on the Amiga. Not sure if you remember that, but one of the floppy disks was faulty. And so I couldn't get past the, the, the scene when where you shoot yourself with a cannon onto the island. It would always get stuck at that animation and would not load the rest. And later on, I also I also had a, the PC version, but didn't finish. In that case, I, I didn't know. I got really close to the end, but um, never figured out how to get out of that battle with LeChuck. That, not sure if this is a spoiler. I think the game is, is, is old already, and almost everybody has played it all. But anyway, I think it's very close to the end, possibly one command, one thing to do before the end or something like that. But I, I didn't manage back then. So I was stranded there somewhere in some, some country's airport. And I popped the game out on the Scum Virtual Machine and, and thought, OK, let's see what I remember. And let's see if I can finish. And I did. And that, that started my, my habit of bringing something with me 
on the phone all the time. So this time I had future wars. It's not a very famous game. I'm not sure if you remember, but I think we played Yeah, I do. I do remember Future Wars. In fact, I think I mentioned it in the previous episode. All right. I I, th- I always thought it, it, uh, it was a very, very good-looking game. It looked really great when you start off. There's the first scene that your character is cleaning the windows of a, of a tall skyscraper. And it's all bitmap graphics but it looks very neat you can see everything is like orange as if you are in the in the sunset and you see the the skyscraper reflecting the light of the sky effectively from your back and you are on one of these mobile platform that window cleaners use to clean the outside of the windows and i remember that i i, I really loved the way it, the game started but it's a game that I, I never managed to finish, so I, I tried to play it a little bit. But I got I got stuck, and here I learned something more about the Scam Virtual Machine. That uh, when you play it on, on a desktop computer, it, it's just fine. You just control it with the mouse. The whole software, that's not technically an emulator, but let's call it the emulator, uh, it's made for point-and-click adventures, right? Originally, it was a way to to replay those on modern Windows computers at, at first. So it plays just fine with the mouse and the keyboard. But on the mobile, nah, it's more difficult. You don't have the mouse. You only have your fingers for the touch screen. So there's the clever thing that the game has two modes of operation. One of them... You're just touching the screen normally. So wherever you touch, the pointer goes there. To simulate left button of the mouse, you double click. And to simulate the right button, you hold one finger and you click another finger somewhere else. That's the what I think is the native mode of Scam Virtual Machine on mobiles. But this is a bit difficult because as you are pointing your finger, you are hiding what's below the finger. And some games require you very precisely to put the cursor on a specific pixel sometimes. Yes, I remember that on Future Future Wars, yeah. Exactly on the map, I think it was. Yeah, and it happens also on Lucasfilm uh, games. So, So I usually rather prefer the alternative way i think it's called mouse emulation mode or something like that where it doesn't matter when you touch the screen the cursor stays there but then you touch and drag and the cursor moves in parallel with your movement so this way you can move the cursor see what's below the cursor without your finger getting in the way and that's how I always play on the mobile. But then, very soon, near the beginning of Future Wars, there's this place, I don't really like how it's made, but you have a keypad there. First, you actually have to get the keypad to pop up on the screen. So that's an action. And then you have to type a code on that keypad. All the while... 
there is something there that's gonna kill you in a few seconds if you don't finish typing the code and i just noticed it was impossible to do it with that mouse emulation mode it was impossible because the design of this keypad in the game is that you don't just press it you have to right click and choose operate each button which doesn't yeah, seem like a very yeah. very good design choice to me it's no. pretty bad i don't know why they did it that way and i think i spent almost an hour trying to to get past to that point thinking that maybe this game uh, can't be said to be fully compatible with the scam virtual machine on mobile probably nobody has played it nobody noticed this problem until it occurred to me that i could switch to the other mode and when I switched to the original mode, then it was just first try and it just worked much better. So might be something I have to keep in mind for the future when I play uh, other point and click adventures on the scum virtual machine on my mobile that if something doesn't work with one mode, then maybe I should switch to the other and see if it's, if it's any better. Well, it's nice to hear that you've been playing some adventure games. I'm going to be looking at some adventure games in the near future, hopefully around September. And yeah, if I could play them on an iPad, that would be great, but I don't think I can. So I'll play the original experience with a desktop computer. Also, while you were away, I went to Arcade Bury, uh, so the arcade club in Bury. Um, I told you about it and uh, before I think. It's a great place to visit old arcades. So I spent quite a long time there, about five hours. I went with a buddy of mine for his birthday and we played quite a few a few games. Interestingly enough, I didn't play any of the old games. I played some of the new ones, um, which I've never seen before. Um, but they that's where I think I like the, the modern game design because it makes it... It doesn't let you fail as often. So anyways, for the people who don't know, this is an arcade club. So it's just arcade machines, three floors of them in Manchester. This, um, this big building has got three floors of, of different arcade machines. Um, and the arcade club has different branches as well over in England. I think it's got one in Leeds as well. One's open in Blackpool. And uh, I went to the Manchester one in, near Bury. And this one's got three floors. And on the first floor, there's mostly new arcade machines, newer, uh, lots of Japanese arcade machines, which are quite crazy. And what else do they have on the first floor? Yeah, some, some really big ones. There's the House of the Dead 6, I think. It's a 6 one. It's a very modern one. And it's always got a queue outside. And it's got all the funky arcades where you actually go in and and play inside it. There's a Star Wars pod with a projector inside that that's projects the screen around you uh, while you're driving with the TIE fighter. So that's really cool as well. There's a, there's another strange game where you're in a big... It's not like a room. It's an open cabinet. That, they're very big that allows four people to stand up and there's four controls and it comes with the controls paired to one side. So two people play on one side, two people play on the other one on the other side, and then each group of people have to have a big screen in front of them and you play against each other. So you can see you play against the people at the back of you. 
and that's like a first-person shooter kind of thing, a scripted one. And you must kill the robots. And I, I've never, I've never played the other party, so I don't know what they do. But here, where I was doing in my party was killing the robots, and and in the end, you win or you lose against the other team of two. Wow, that was quite an experience for me. Um, and then I had a, um, on the second floor, I think there was pinballs. So I had like a two-hour session with all sorts of pinballs. Unfortunately, some of them get stuck quite often, so you have to call the guys to unlock them and all. But I really enjoy some of the pinballs that keep you going the longest and you, you start getting some really incredible points and I, I really love the pinballs. I didn't think I'd, I'd like pinballs so much, pinball machine. So I think I played Chase HQ pinball machine. The Adams Family was another one, Doctor Who. But there was an X-Files. There, there was loads, loads of pinball machines. And then I, I nearly finished a couple of fighting games, but the modern ones... Arcus Blade or Blade Arcus, really new fighting games, but I think they were on easy setting because I could basically go to nearly towards the end. And I really forgot how much I loved fighting games. I think I got a bit bored of them when I did the multiplayer because I kept getting uh, battered from everyone else, basically. So doing it's um, too competitive. As, yeah. That's also the reason why I, I never really enjoyed those. I don't know how the kids made it back then, but usually we saw new games popping up at the arcades. And as soon as you tried playing them, there were already people who had mastered certain characters and they were unbeatable. They were trying to, to play two players, invited you to play with them, but no, no. But I really like the sound of, the, of that first floor <laughs> because uh, even a long time ago in the, in the 90s, when arcades was were already getting a bit out of fat to be honest and i thought that maybe the future of gaming was going to be alternative interfaces to the game like you mentioned this room with for four people to play at the same time on yeah. different screens but even the tie fighter sounds really really interesting were you like really able to see in all directions, even up? How did it look from the inside? You could uh, look, let's say, 180 degrees for sure, and then up again, like a semisphere, if you know what I mean. So like 180 degrees in all directions, except except down. Downwards you have the, mm. what's it called, the cloche, the, the pilot thing. In fact, you have two, and one goes left and right, and the other one, I think, goes up and down. I think it's quite immersive, to be honest, that kind of uh, arcade, because you, when you go in it, you've got a little door as well. So you enter it and it's all closed in and all the people's uh, shouting and all the machines um, sound is all left outside. So you're really in it. And the projector does a fairly good job. It's not high res, but it's good enough, I think. So it's very good and, and very difficult. Now, the cabinet doesn't move around, though, you know, it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't but it's good. So you're still sitting on a chair or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Seat. Pilot that's fixed Pilot. doesn't move. Yes, that's right. But that's not too bad. It's not too bad. I suppose that when, then when you turn the spaceship left or right, the whole screen moves, the whole image moves. That's right. That's right. It's very difficult also to lock on an enemy. Uh, it seems easy, but it's very hard. Um, 
So I, I lost <laughs> immediately. But sounds sounds like really nice and fairly original also. Yeah, I mean, when you come and visit me, I'll take you. Uh, I think one of the best experiences I had that I really kept going at was the House of the Dead. So my friend wanted to play that, so he went mainly for that. And we spent about half an hour, three quarters of an hour just playing at that and getting near the end. It was pretty cool, you know, with the guns and all. I think we put lots of coins in, virtual coins. It's free to play, by the way. So you pay, I think, £16 to get in here, and then you can play for free at everything. Okay. Which is really nice. I hope they make enough money um, to keep it running because, you know, the time... Previously to that, that I went, I was going to play on uh, Super Hang On, if you know, and the original cabinet has the motorbike controls in it, like with a brake, I think it's on the right hand side. And that was broken, but this time it, they had mended it. So they are investing money, I think, into sorting the machines out, which is really, really admirable. But I think £16, it's too low. On some, some respect, I think they should go up with the price because they, the machine needs maintenance and they've got loads of them. And you on the other side... You there for a long time. You yeah. You were there five hours. Yeah, they have got, they've got a cafe inside as well. So they, but I was wondering, with this idea that you have a, um, a ticket for the whole place and then it's free to play, mm. that sounds great to me. But doesn't it lead to some situation where some people who really like a game then stick to that game for hours and nobody else can play? That is correct. Does it happen? Last time when my son wanted to go and play the House of the Dead and the two guys in there were pretty rude and told him they weren't getting out anytime soon and he he should just go away. And then another woman got really angry at them. And (laughs) there are all sorts of situations, even to get in the pod. Star Wars board, I had to wait quite a long time as a kid in there for like 20 minutes and I had to wait outside and it wasn't a crowded day. So yeah, it does lead to those situations and you just have to wait. Mm. So this is the second floor has got pinballs and all, fighting games and a lot of uh, shoot-em-ups, which I like. So I did play some cave shoot-em-ups that I really never heard of. I think one is Mushime Sama Futari. It's Princess of Insects and that means two people so and it's two player game and that was bullet hell or something where there's bullets everywhere and you have a very small hotspot and you have to go around and dodge all the bullets played gunbird viper phase one and uh, just going back to the fighting games was blade arcus and under under night and then fighting climax ignition there was just like really modern fighter games based on anime that i don't really dig that much anymore Uh, but I really enjoyed those games the third floor is where all the really old stuff is so the third floor is enormous um, and has got loads and loads and loads of arcades of the really old area including one or two original vectrices vectrices yeah I don't know if you know what those are Mm, now I think I'm getting confused with the vectrex yes it's that it's basically those. The same concept is the Vectrex, okay. so the vectors, and it's in an arcade cabinet. So they had a couple of original vector machines, let's call them, it's not Vectrex. And then you know, Pac-Man, Burger Time, all those really old ones, and leading up to the most modern Chase HQ um, with big machine uh, controls. 
Outrun 2, I think they had as well. Outrun, I, I always play the original one, which is the big cabin that you sit down in and it's got hydraulic pumps moving you around as well. So very good experience there, I must admit. But those games, I think they're all very cool. Lots of nostalgia, but not very good game design, in my opinion. Please don't hate me, but <laughs> I, I don't last long on any of them. And it's always game over, game over, game over, game over. Oh. So, yeah, but that was done on purpose, you know. I know. Because at that time, I think the idea was that to play the game, you had to put your coin inside the cabinet. So I think the games were designed in a way to maximize the inflow of coins during a certain day. So they had to last fairly short. There was even, uh, do you remember, Qbert? Yes, that was there. There was, it was there, all right. It was there. I think it was even advertised with that was famous flyer advertising flyer. Qbert collects quarters, <laughs> so that's obviously not oriented to the customers, the end customers, but to the to the managers, who the people who manage and own the arcades. So get this game because it would really. <laughs> bring you a lot of coins from the players. And I actually think that really influenced early game design even for home computers because in the 80s that was kind of the main design mantra in my opinion. Make short games, short and hard games and then of course after a while with all the opportunities that a home computer allowed to have then all kinds of games popped up into the minds of the designers. But earlier games were often very short, in my opinion, even in, in home computers, because probably of that original idea. I think that you're right. I think that they improving on game design, though, makes you want to play more. You know, if, if so, I, I get it. At the time, there wasn't that possibility or there was a different mindset. But if they change the game design a little bit more to allow you to kind of nearly win, then you would have been more intrigued into putting another coin in. But instead, what happens to me is just the, the wall of difficulty is too high and I just give up, <laughs> which is not great. But, but that's what happened. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Did you find any old favorite of yours? Uh, there was Dragon's Lair there. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, a bit uh, forgotten about. It was Bubble Bubble, Snow Brothers. There's, there's loads. I think there must be a list somewhere. You know what? I played a lot of gun ones. So Operation Wolf, for example, when you when you, okay. you actually got a, a gun and you're shooting the screen. So there's three or four of those, and I think I've played them all. That was pretty cool, I think. So I, I never played those in the arcade, so I had to go at all of those as well. Did you otherwise find something old that you didn't know existed. Well, the Vectrix ones, I didn't know even they existed. I call them the Vectrix ones, but they're, they're the Vector ones I didn't know existed. And my God, aren't they very strikingly unique in how how you see them? There was one with a starship, like an Asteroids game, but the bullet you shot was so bright, you could see it wasn't, it wasn't a drawing. It was the ray of light, or the ray of the... CRT tube that was it, it was just striking I'd never seen that before okay it's gonna be interesting I hope you come over soon because I, I would really want to take you for the day yes definitely you know we have also a, a small 
museum of computer games here. Ah, awesome. But it's it's um, mostly oriented towards local Finnish productions of oh, games. Right. There were some fairly famous ones, I think. Um, for example, in recent years, do you know Trine? Mm. Ah, yes, I think yes, it was... Trine. I was going to buy Trine on Steam. Okay, we have it for the PlayStation 3. And uh, I, I think it's it's a Finnish game, at least the first one. I'm not sure if then the second game was perhaps the franchise was bought by some other companies. I'm not sure, but at least the first one was Finnish. And then, of course, there's Angry Birds, fam- most famous Finnish game ever, oh, probably. Yeah. But then there is uh, City Skylines, one of my favorite management type of game. Absolutely wonderful, quite complicated to use, but uh, it's like a SimCity, but very much expanded in all directions, in all possible ways. It's, it's really brilliant. But even back in the days, I remember for the Commodore 64, there was this game, the title of which is, of course, a complete mystery to anyone who doesn't speak Finnish. It's called Uno Turha Puro Muutta Maalle. What was that? Uno Porta Muro Muutta Maalle. Okay. It, but it's it's a simple game, but it's it's difficult. Mm, hard for me to tell exactly what kind of genre you should see it. You are kind of controlling this character, which is based on a, a real Finnish TV series, sort of comedy series comedy character and uh, I I suppose nobody outside this country has ever seen that but it was quite popular in uh, the 80s or even earlier maybe and uh, it's hard to explain what the game is about let's say that this is a character that is constantly running forward and you are trying to avoid some obstacles Nothing game-breaking, but uh, it has a certain charm to it, I must say. And part of it is the difficulty. It's difficult. It's very difficult. But uh, anyway, that museum is also a favorite of my kids. We often go there just to revisit the history of uh, local game design, not only computer games, but there are also tabletops made in Finland and other things like that. And, uh, and of course, to spend time playing them. And then there's also other arcade, non-Finnish arcade stuff. But I guess that's just a fraction of what you described the arcade beauty is. That really sounds pretty big. Three floors. Yeah. Must be hundreds of games easily. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Hundreds for sure, I'd say. Probably 200, but I don't know. I don't know, but a lot of games, a lot of games for sure. And I'm always wondering, you know, how how long are the the newer generations going to be interested in going there and discovering the old games? Also, because of how punishing they are and how newer generations are more inclined to, you know, have forgiving games where you don't really die, but you lose some energy, then you can recover it and then you can start again. Whilst back in the days, it was like, either you're good or you're not good, man. So I hope there are, 
the newer generation still can appreciate those old games? Well, I, I do think that there is no particular reason why a person, whatever the age or whatever the era they're living in, that they wouldn't enjoy a short game sometimes, for example. At the same time, I don't think why there shouldn't be a reason why someone wouldn't enjoy a very long game. But you are right that there are many modern games, well, starting from the super famous World of Warcraft, where you can literally keep playing for 10 years. Now it's maybe more like 15 years, and some people might still be playing the same characters. They have died hundreds of times, but that is just a minor inconvenience and uh, it's a completely different dimension so imagine if you do world of warcraft and the first time you die you have to redo all the levels again it wouldn't make sense in my opinion because the point of the game is really that that game is really the journey through a myriad quests lots of events with the other characters lots of locations to explore and of course your level to grow up as as to become a sort of a, a world level hero yeah it i did play that game for a while and i did want to try multiple characters so restarting from zero every time that was okay for me but i can also imagine how some people really want to invest in the story so it's a, it's a completely different thing, but I don't see a reason why someone wouldn't have fun once in a while also with a short game. Maybe a game that it's more about uh, a lot of action, high speed, say a, a lot of emotion in a short time, but then not enough depth to continue beyond an hour or something like that. Possibly, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. I just hope it keeps on going ahead, you know, it keeps on getting better and opening more. It's a nice point where it's a nice place where you can actually meet friends as well. So I really like the atmosphere there as well. It's very nice. There's some families. It's, I think, yeah, I can't wait to take you. That's, that's the point. It's going to be, we're going to have quite a bit of fun there. Okay. It's a deal then. Yeah, it's a very much a deal. You know what? Also, you know, when we met, you gave me that magazine. Oh, the uh, the K magazine, um, which we yes. spoke about. So since then, well, I discovered I already had that number anyways <laughs> after a while, but I have become now obsessed with them. Like I've read three of them completely and I really like them. Uh, and I do like to read the reviews because I, read, I like to read the points of view of the people who have played it then and how I think some games would stand up nowadays so and what it brings to me as well is a is a plethora of as i said before in the previous episode how a plethora of games that i completely forgot or never heard about and i think oh i've never tried that on the amiga so it's opening these kind of doors for me and now i've i've ordered some more of these magazines i'm trying to collect them i've gone all crazy i've got a a collection app and i've got all the numbers the, the k numbers that i've got and so let me explain to the listeners in italy there were mainly two magazines that came out one is called the games machine and the other one is this k 
and the consoles were not treated immediately at the same time. So they weren't considered immediately at the same time as the computers did. So there was another magazine that came out later on called Console Mania, and, and then that evolved. But mainly it was the Games Machine and K. And these two dated back in uh, mid, mid-80s. I think, for me personally, I, I prefer the games machine, but now they're very expensive to buy online. Obviously, everything retro now is expensive in Italy, wherever, I guess. And I really like the games machine, especially for the e- the mail section. It wasn't even email, so people would actually write letters in and send them over. And some of them are hilarious and genuinely make me laugh out loud. Some of the things they write are really so funny. And this was the games machine. But K was one that you read, I think, was more serious and has more mm-hmm. serious reviews and they're more, they take themselves more seriously. And I prefer reading that for a review nowadays, but for entertainment value, I still like the machine. I'm building the collection of these up, so I'm buying some more from Italy and I'm, I'm going to go back soon. So I'm going to bring some home here in England to read. It was a, it was a good gift, you know, open some more doors up. All right. I'm just going to say one last thing. Uh, on the back of San Malad that we played last and realized I could not see anything on my Game Boy, I have since installed a new IPS Q5 funny playing screen and the experience is so much better now. I can actually see San Malad in all its glory. So if you ever happen to own a Game Boy and want to improve the quality, um, this is my suggestion. And I think... I'm going to delve into some serious handheld hardware now. I think that now it's the time for me. I've got the desktops. I need the handheld. Right. News-wise with games, I know that the Scorpion engine for the Amiga uh, has a new has released a new version. What is it? It's an engine that allows people to create um, games on the Amiga. It's like the Siuk was on the Amiga, shoot 'em up construction kit, but obviously more complex and it allows to create all sorts of different games. There is a demo out on called Maria Renard's Revenge, and it's quite striking to see how quickly and how good the quality is that this engine can output. So if you're interested in making games for the Amiga, this is a good place to start with. There are a lot of engines out there, but this is the one that keeps being mentioned, and it's on Patreon as well if you want to support them. On a different note, uh, there is a remaster for Wings. I don't know if you ever played it, but Wings was a game for the Commodore Amiga again, made by Cinemaware. And it was the first game I played, not for a long time, where I had quite a good experience in the flight. So basically, it's a game that it takes place in the Second World War, and you are flying like a Red Baron's plane with two wings, if that makes sense. And... It's one of the first games that has the cockpit view and also has another two views, one like a shoot 'em up from the top and an isometric view. I really had my first good flying experience with this game. Uh, it's very slow. The frame rate is very choppy, but it was good enough to play. And then the other stages that were one isometric. So, so for example, you had to escort some trucks with... Um, medical supplies and then you have to def- you have to keep them free of all the enemies in the surroundings so you would shoot this in an isometric view 
And then there's some bombing scenes where you actually have a target to bomb and that looks like a shoot 'em up and you actually have to center the objective with a bomb and destroy it to be successful. And now the only other game that I recall being better than this, obviously it's way later on, it's called Wing Commander and everyone knows Wing Commander from Origin. And that was the first game that I really, I really loved and enjoyed till the end and I finished it all because the, the, the controls were so responsive and good. I really loved that game. But this one was the first one that actually introduced me into flight genre without being a simulator, if you know what I mean. So what is the remaster about? So they've made this now for the PC, the Mac, iOS and Android as well. And I've had a look at it, obviously, and it looks uh, basically the same, but with polygons. So it, they made a very faithful reconstruction of it, but with uh, 3D graphics. And um, it's just the same. It has the same, exactly the okay. same level. So it has a cockpit view level where you're actually shooting some other, I suppose, Nazi fighters. And then they have, there's another level, the same level where you escort people. So that's an isometric view as well. And that's, um, again, 3D though. So made with uh, 3D models rather than uh, being a bitmap. And then there's a shoot 'em up kind of view from the top, which has remained the same. In fact, I think it's completely unaltered, but I don't know uh, for sure. But then what, what would you think, uh, besides the obvious fact that someone might not have an Amiga to play this game, the original one, and would, but would want to play the game on a PC, on Windows. But otherwise, what, what do you think? Does it make sense to play the remastered if you already have the original one? Oh, I think I think that's the only target market, if you ask me. I think I don't think it will appeal to people who have never played it before, but I don't know. But I think it will appeal mostly to the people who had the original. And can't play that anymore. And or can't play that anymore. Or, you know, the experience on the Amiga is different, let's say, from the more modern remaster where you actually can use a mouse, I think, and and it moves much, much more fluidly and you have more control. Like it doesn't seem so choppy. So it might end up being a better experience overall. I don't know. But, you know, I think that's the target audience is the people who are actually, who've had it and played it before. So that's, um, okay. I think there's one last game that caught my attention, um, which is called I Doesn't Exist. So we've been talking throughout every episode oh, yes. about text adventures. And I've run into this game. It's made by two Swiss girls, I think. And it's the most modern representation of a text adventure that I have ever seen without becoming something different. I have played that. I think it's been around for at least a year or so. It's still in alpha release. I think it's not finished the game. There is just the first level. But it, but it did get my attention, definitely. What did you think of it? I, th I thought that um, it... It's a very good start. It, well, the whole aspect of the game, it left me a little bit still with mixed feelings. It's it's very much in pixel art. 
but perhaps a little bit too too large pixels, if I may say. And uh, I even think that the, the demo only runs in full screen, which is a bit weird. But uh, I like the fact that it, it's very much a text adventure, but with a graphic representation on the top half of the screen, and it's actually animated. So you are telling your characters to go left or right. It's essentially just that at this point of the game. There is no north and south, just east and west. And your character goes around and you can see, you can guess, let's say, what part of the scenery scenery you can interact with as you look to the screen, but you are still just controlling the character by typing the actions in as in a traditional text adventure. So it's kind of a step forward or sideways from the usual that I have seen. And uh, the, the game immediately looks nicely creepy, so to speak. It has a certain Stranger Things vibe to it. I don't know if you've seen the TV series, but it's really popular. If you haven't, then you should. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very short demo. I mean, you can play it in 10 minutes at most. It's also very easy so far. But it, but it definitely looks interesting, and I, I really would want to see it completed eventually. And then there is also this uh, background music that uh, it's not even a complete piece of music. It's, let's say, more like ambient music. Small notes here and there and uh, noises, depending on where you are in on the location. And uh, But it really builds up the mood very nicely. So... I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing more than this alpha demo that is out for now. For me, it's the same. I I can't wait to see more of it. In fact, I think at this point, we we have to do a special episode dedicated to text adventures. So we will probably be doing that towards the end of the year. Quite interested into seeing more of this as well. Right. So we spent quite a long time talking about the other topics. It's time to get down to the game we're covering in this episode. And the first Amiga game of our podcast. I think the game that we're talking about today, Incamen, is fairly simple to present. It's essentially a static screen platform of the collect them all type. So the point of the game is collecting, in this case, all the diamonds on the screen and then get to the exit, all the while avoiding some enemy characters, jumping on some moving platforms, trying to avoid falling into traps or spikes. So it it's a game that you can really summarize like that. There's not, not much more to this game. There are There's the usual things that these type of collect games offer, like different types of bonuses or power-ups. Like there is one that protects you from collision. There is one that gives you more time to finish the level, bonus life, or something that freezes the enemies. And there's different types of monsters, each one with its own 
tricky difficulties like some that can shoot fireballs, some that can fly, some that they, that they teleport themselves. There is, I think, all around 30 levels. I don't know if you made it to the end, but I I, I managed to finish them all. And uh, it didn't feel too short in this case because it's not the easiest game to play. It's a fair difficulty, fair difficulty. Yes, so I, I think I agree with you. Um, I mentioned before, I have to say it now because I, I said it before, for those people who haven't seen it, it's a, it reminds like the levels are like a bit the Snow Brothers game. So it's just one one single screen, and instead of killing all the em- enemies, you have to just like Neil said, collect all the items. In this case, um, initially at least, there are some diamonds that you have to collect. There is an exit door all the time, and it's closed. And when you've collected all the items, a key appears. You will have to then go and jump and fetch that key and by fetching it the door opens and then you'll have to go to the door and you will automatically exit the level and go to the next one right so uh, i would say this is a pretty straightforward game you don't need instructions to play it it's it's very intuitive you get some power-ups um i think i've only noticed the shield that protects you as you said from the collision and the hourglass so you've got a timer as well in these levels so you've got a certain amount of time to finish them and if you don't finish them you die yes and uh, i think we'll get to that later on yeah because i think that i must say that i thought there was a design flow there related to the timer yes i think we both spotted that let's say the good things first okay yeah I, i must say that when i Open this game, I got immediately a very nice feeling that this really hit me as a very Amiga game in all the possible meaning of this expression. Meaning that the graphic is very nice, the artwork is very nice, it's it's a beatmap game. That's my favorite on the Commodore Amiga. My favorite types of game is the beatmap type, not not the other early 3D types. And uh, the artwork is it's very nicely made. I think the sprites, especially the monsters, but also the character sprites, they are uh, drawn with high care. And all these monsters have this um, cute but angry look. Like they are, they look like small monsters that should be harmless, but they look angry like. They, they really want to, to see you die. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, besides that, I immediately thought that uh, there were some uh, not-so-hidden quotes of famous games there. Like, the overall level immediately made me think of uh, Bubble Bubble, for example. Static yeah, screens with, with monsters going ref- left and right on fixed platforms. And the diamonds made me think of Rainbow Island, another favorite of mine. And uh, finally, those uh, stones. The, the theme of the game is Mesoamerican, Incas, or something like that. Inca Man is the name. So you, you get these elements of the platforms, these brown blocks of 
rock with some Mesoamerican looking face on top of them, like archaeological uh, relics or something like that. And just to build up the theme of the game. And those instead make me immediately think of Rick Dangerous. So that's already three of of the most of the best games of platform games that I've played, especially on Amiga, the Rainbow Island and the Rick Dangerous. The Bubble Bubble, of course, was an arcade game first and foremost. One of the notes I've put down to myself was why is it Inca Man? Because I didn't notice anything to do with Incas or Mayan or Peruvian for any matter culture in the game. So the the only thing that I did notice was the title screen. That is also a little bit in the background. Didn't the background that graphics of okay. the levels. Well, maybe it's a subtle reference, perhaps that the monsters themselves are more like from traditional horror themes. I think that there are vampires and others look like goblins. There's ghosts, spiders, some skeletons or maybe characters with a skeleton mask. Not clear in that case. So the the theme is a little bit uh, mixed and you didn't get to the end of the game or did you? Yes, I finished it all. I finished, you finished it too? Yes. So, okay, so... I thought that the the ending, I'll be very very short and simple. It's just basically a um, one st- static screen with a congratulation message. But the picture at the end tells another story. <laughs> That's not just Incas. Maybe you didn't even notice, I didn't and now notice I don't want to say what's in that <laughs> I didn't screen. Anything. No, well, yeah, I can say, but uh, there's. A picture of your character getting out of this Mesoamerican pyramid, you know, the stairs-like pyramid, yeah. not the not the Egyptian type of pyramids. But then you also see that there's some sort of spaceship in the sky hiding behind the clouds. What's that? I don't know. But uh, if I think uh, vampires and ghosts and goblins plus spaceship first thing that comes to my mind is Plane 9 from Outer Space and those low-budget, horrible, but nowadays also very famous movies of the 50s and 60s where they put everything inside the movies, like gothic horrors, science fiction, and anything goes in those movies. And <laughs> it made me think of that. It's a little bit of mix of themes altogether but it, it's kind of funny in my opinion yeah i mean i didn't notice all of this just went right over my head and i did not notice any any of this in fact i was still wondering what i didn't even realize that was uh, like a a peruvian or incas pyramid i did not realize even that i just thought it was a pyramid i thought oh, pyramid that's it that's that's how far i went <laughs> oh. what else can we yeah, say um, about the game it's yeah, well, uh, I say this felt to me like a very Amiga game. Uh, if it had been released back in the day, I would not have thought of it as a full-budget game, maybe, because it, it's not very deep. Like, There's not much to, to learn from this game. It's, it's pretty, it plays pretty obviously, pretty simply. But um, 
but it looks like it could have been at least um, a professional game by all means. And uh, the other side of it is the music that really immediately got my attention as, okay, this is really classic Amiga music, sample bass with four channels, stereo. It, the title music, in my opinion, is really nice. <laughs> I, I just sit and listen to it until the end. I, I love it. I think the music is made by someone called Zoltar. It says so in the game itself, I think. And uh, title music is really great. You know, I could listen to that kind of music uh, normally. It, it sounds good. It has good samples, some clean guitars samples, some pan flute samples. That's also the kind of instrument that really really delivers, in my opinion, this typical Mesoamerican feeling. It's really nice. And the in-game music, it's maybe not as good as the title music, but it's still pretty good. 30 levels are not too few because uh, the levels are not easy. Even though there's not much you have to do, really. You, you can only jump, move left and right and nothing else. But they provide a good challenge. So you'll encounter a point where what you have to collect is not the diamonds anymore. It changes to fruit for some reason. I didn't understand that. But it's what's Yeah, that was a bit bit weird choice. But And then it, and it only lasts a few levels. Yes, it only lasts a few levels. So that was a bit strange as well. Um, uh, hang on. I think I even counted down in my notes that uh, there's like 18 levels. Correct, I did the same. And then it starts with fruit. And then there's four levels with fruits. And then the last eight levels with diamonds again and yes. some extra jewels. So I wondered why just four levels with fruits? And in case you didn't notice, it's different fruit every level. So there's one with apples, one with bananas, one with many. And I wonder, why did they bother creating the sprites or the, the pictures, not the sprites, the, the pictures for these objects, and then just use them for a single level, but then use the diamonds for more than half of the game? It's a little bit... Uh, I don't know, not Strange. asymmetric, so to speak. Strange choice. Maybe they had in mind to put more levels later on. Not sure. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Another thing that needs to be noted is that you are collecting these items on the screen and you have a value. So I think each one is 10 and it accrues at the top of so the, the, at the top bar, at the top of the screen, you've got a bar where you have how many diamonds you've collected, how much time you've got remaining, how many lives you've got. The more diamonds you collect, the more the score goes up. But it's a scoring exercise. So you, you play for the score. Yeah, so let's talk about the playability a little bit because I, I generally like the game for sure. But as I said, I noticed one design flaw one technical bug, but that doesn't bother me that too much. And a couple of, uh, let's say, questionable general choices. 
I think it plays quite nicely. There's a li this little bit of delay before you jump that it made me fail many, many times. And also jumps sometimes felt a little too short. And maybe even the collision detection felt sometimes it triggered too early, not that fair. But all of these are okay. They're okay. They're part of the game. I can accept that. But there was one thing that really bothered me, and I'm sure you must have noticed it too, that you can die in two ways in this game. First, if you collide with the monster or with the spikes. Yes, agreed. And then you can also die if the time runs out. But here comes the problem that when you die by collision, the timer doesn't, doesn't reset. reset. Yes. So, so many times it happened to me to die twice in a row because of that. To die by collision when you have a few seconds left, and then you have a few seconds left, you die again. And that's the only time when you get more time to finish the level. And I wonder why didn't they, they didn't notice this? It's counterintuitive if the time is running out and there's a, an audible clue in the music speeding up, I think, when you have 15 seconds, if I remember right, left. So what do you do if you hear the signal that, oh, you're running out of time? You rush because you, you think, oh my God, I have to finish the level quickly. And of course, that's risky and you're going to die more easily. And now I came to the realization while playing that if you're running out of time, the best thing you can do is find a safe place and let the time run out. So then you'll lose one life instead of two. And you'll get one minute more to finish instead of losing two lives. And I, I really wonder why they didn't notice this. So it's pretty obvious and it happens many times while playing these games, these 30 levels. It's definitely something I would have done differently. Yeah, that's one of the flaws I found as well. And I did find a couple of other annoyances. So for example, if you die on a platform, if you die anywhere on the game, when you respawn, you respawn always in the starting position. So say you finally got to that platform to get that last diamond, then you die, you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to spawn back there. So I'm close to the diamond and I can just get the last one. But no, instead you spawn back to the starting point. So you have to go back all the way again to get the last diamond. And sometimes it, it, this can be a bit frustrating, I think. I don't know if you noticed that. Yes, but uh, I thought that didn't bother me that much. It's quite common after all. And then I think there was some little quirks on jumping. I didn't really understand if the jump was press sensitive. Sometimes, I mean, most of the times it seemed to do a fixed jump. Sometimes if there was a moving platform above, it would kind of probably jump a bit higher and I could reach some other ledges. I don't know if that was a bug or not. I did not, wasn't, I wasn't able to understand if that was a bug or if it was design and how I would trigger the higher jump. I didn't understand that. Okay, I must say I must have totally missed that. Even though I, I tried to play with different controller, and uh, but I didn't notice, not at all. 
flying enemies are a little bit of pest here because they they move they bounce back from platforms but they can go through some vertical obstacles that normally you can't pass through but they can and this makes it difficult to uh, predict in real time where are they going to eventually so when you have lots of platforms on top of each other and you are in one of them very often i didn't make it my prediction right where the ghost or the bat was going to and it instead it just came and collided with me yeah and it it does look a little bit random especially after a while you have some other critters that can teleport they disappear and appear somewhere else and you can very much end up in a situation where there is no way out if they're teleporting in a place and you you have to go to that place and there's not enough room to jump or there are multiple monsters flying or walking in the same place you you can really get trapped but uh, that's okay to me that it doesn't bother bother me this much it's a difficult difficult game and i can accept that then i found a bit uh, it, it is more like bubble bubble here i think but you can't jump down so i was for some reason i was expecting the ability to jump down from a platform but you can't you can just drop off and i i i think i think that would have made a good addition personally so that would have helped with playability in my opinion rather than but i got used to that that one either a big flaw just all in all it just seemed it's it, it kept me hooked so I, I did go back and eventually was able to finish it um but once again for me i'm missing a progression method a progression map not method what do i mean it's always the same even bubble bubble had a progression i don't know if you remember but bubble bubble when you actually uh, finish when you die it tells you what level you've got to and there are some key stages and the aim is to free i think i don't remember now <laughs> you have to free someone in bubble bubble and that's the aim of the game and slowly you progress through the levels to go and um, kill the final boss but something even so silly gives me a sense of progression that in command didn't have again so i i didn't know how many levels there were so you, you just play for the sake of playing but it, it could have benefited for, for example, having a goal into freeing a princess, you know, but even if it was a silly goal or something really simple and uh, with a in-between stage, that would have been probably better, better gameplay, it would have given it a bit more meaning to me. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that this game also has multiplayer. So... Oh yes, yes. That that is always something that I'm interested in, and especially cooperative multiplayers, because uh, there is plenty of games, competitive games, where you play against each other. But I prefer cooperative games, like Bubble Bubble, for example. Yeah. So this has two methods to play. So it has a cooperative multiplayer and a versus multiplayer as well. And also, we didn't mention that it has three levels of difficulty. Now, it's normal, easy. Have you tried that? I've just played normal. I didn't see any point in playing easy and super easy. But my uh -huh. daughter played easy. 
that's where I found what I would say a technical okay. bug because I also played the whole game in normal, but I just wanted to see how different it was in the other difficulties. There's easy and super easy. And I think in easy, you get slower monsters, slower platforms, not the fireballs though. Those uh, seem to be still quite as quick as the normal. And I also think you get more power-ups. And more time. Okay. And in super easy, then you definitely get plenty of time, like at least double the time. And also, you are yourself slower than normal. But that could be a bonus or not, depending how you see it, because in easy, you are much faster than the enemies, so it's very easy to outrun the enemies. In super easy, it's less easy to outrun the enemies, but it's easier to control, especially your jumps. But uh, something strange happened in easy that I have noticed that because the character is now moving faster than the platforms, if you try to jump on a platform, you can see that your character is kind of sliding out of them, even when you're standing still. I saw this as well. I thought it was a bug. I think it is. I think it's probably just an incorrect uh, setting of the speed of the character when it's standing on on a slide on a moving platform. So it's uh, animated to shift in the same direction, but uh, there might be a pixel of difference per seconds or something like that. So you actually have to keep moving it, adjusting left and right, otherwise you fall off. But I saw that bug also in the normal mode, where if you weren't perfectly on the platform, it, it tended to not understand if you were on or off, and you kind of it was it would tremble left and right, and then maybe make you fall off or stay on depending on what it decided at the time. But it didn't happen often, so that was okay. Have you tried the multiplayer? Okay. Yeah, yes, I did. I tried both, and uh, mm, I, w I was a little bit let down by the fact that there isn't that much difference between cooperative mode and versus mode. I would have thought that uh, versus mode was really antagonistic, that you could, for example, make it more difficult for the other characters. But then in a game where you can only jump, you can't shoot, you can't do anything like that, maybe there is no room for that. But I, re I really only notice one difference between the two modes in the fact that I think in cooperative, once you've collected all the diamonds, there's still the key to get, and either of the characters can get the key and open the door, and then both of them must exit through the door. And in versus mode, each character has its own keys and its own exit. But that doesn't really make a difference, does it? Because during the, the whole level, either way, both characters have their own points and uh, they have to collect all the diamonds. It doesn't matter who gets how many diamonds. Once there are no diamonds, the level is finished. So a character could just get all of them and the other none and the level is still finished. 
And I also think that uh, I was hoping for the bonuses maybe to be shared. Like if one gets the shield, it also protects the other character. But I think that's not the case. You're talking about the cooperative mode, yeah? I think that's the same in both. The, the, if, if either player gets the hourglass, both times timers go up. But if they, if you get the shield, that's only for yourself. If you get the bonus life, it's only for yourself. Well, the time freeze is shared, of course. Every monster freeze for both characters. But um, do you notice anything else? That's that's how I think both mode works. Um, my experience is very similar, but with the difference that playing with my daughter, uh, we had quite a lot of fun, but in in a way that we haven't experienced before like it was really quite cool but i think cooperatively we didn't do that great but it was the versus one which made us more you know competitive but i don't know if we did this because of the game telling us but we were trying to get the most diamonds uh each so we were trying to scramble to get one diamond more than the other you know and i didn't notice i think i thought that I don't have a good memory, but I, I thought that whoever got the most diamonds won. But I can't recall right now at this moment. Anyways, it was a good experience with the kids. But they still both advanced to the next level. Yes, anyway. that always happens. And yeah, you get both a key and a door. So, um, And I went to the wrong door more than once as well. <laughs> but yeah, more or less the experience is the same. It, may, it gives quite a nice challenge in... In multiplayer, I think, especially if you've got kids, you can have a nice time with them because it's not overly complicated. And I think it's quite a good addition to the game, even if it's not probably perfectly executed. Yes, definitely. I'm always, always looking forward to games for any platforms and any kind of games that can be played by two or even more players at the same time. And together, like, towards a common goal, the cooperative mode is by far my favorite. Yeah. It's not so easy to find good games that have that. That games that where you really have to help each other. Collecting objects, well, it's not that much of a help. Really, I, I could feel in this game, one player could just stay idle and the other doing everything by themselves and there would be no no particular drawbacks to playing like that but my my ideal cooperative game is for example overcooked uh, that's a game on epic games if i remember right we, we played that a lot last year and uh, in my opinion, that's exactly how a cooperative multiplayer game should be. Apart that, you can play at least in four players, if I remember right. But that's a game where different characters, different players have to do different things, slightly different things. I don't know if you've played that, but uh, the, just as, as a short digression, in Overcooked, the point is every player is a cook in a kitchen and you have to complete some recipe. It requires you to prepare, first of all, to fetch the ingredients, prepare them, such as 
cutting them or cooking them and then combine them in, onto a plate depending on uh, the order done by the customers and then deliver it to the to the dining room and uh, but the point is that usually the characters are a little bit separated in this kitchen so one might have access to the stoves and the other to the refrigerators and one might have the ability to reach the sink where you also have to clean the dirty plates coming back from the dining room so you have to really choose a role for yourself in different levels and uh, different players cover different roles and then maybe in the next level you have to do the other way around so there's a separation of tasks and it really plays nicely in the whole frantic of the situation because you really have to go fast you have to make enough recipes before the time runs out but it's difficult to to have a game as brilliant as overcooked in my opinion when it comes to cooperative but it's the reason why when there's a game that says cooperative multiplayer i always want to try that out and see how how they did maybe this was not that uh, the best from that point of view mm, i think yeah i mean for for the price point so this is a free to play game i think and you can also buy the boxed version so can't really complain about it i think they could build upon this for example an idea that i had is with the, with the money with the points you get you could buy some i don't know items or something that can facilitate you or in multiplayer that can hinder the other player that would be amazing idea for example for me <laughs> i had it first so something like that maybe they can improve on it in the next uh, the next version uh, so if they ever make one this could really evolve properly in something really nice and big and way more polished than it could be. But I'd say for now, I think I'd have my deal of fun with it for what it was, you know. Yeah, I would be happy if they just fixed that timer thing. That, yeah, uh, the bug. The, at least, I don't know, maybe not completely reset the timer when you die, but uh, maybe increase it a little bit, give you more seconds, or maybe do it only if you die when you have only a few seconds left or something like that but right now it's a little bit too brutal in my opinion because so many times i lost two lives in a row hey, same here and that another thing that used wrong. to happen to me that i don't know if it's a bug but sometimes i used to fall down i think it was fall down with the timer ending i fell down the timer ended i died but because i died in in front of the door i won the level anyways <laughs> There was also one one other thing that got me thinking, but I think this is um, just my personal preference. That um, so this game is kind of set up like an, as we were speaking, just a, some time before today, set up like these old games, pretty difficult. You got three lives, and then it's over. It's game over. But uh, in this case, you can just keep playing. You can continue. And it also gives you a set of codes. So if you want to come back another day, you just mark down your code and you can start from that right. level. Yeah, I forgot about that. But, but um, in this case, maybe, maybe I was a little bit rushed that I wanted to finish the game, also to make a review and everything. But um, I noticed that because I could just continue indefinitely, it made me play it pretty much recklessly 
And I, I just realized after 20 or something levels that I wasn't getting any better at playing the game. I was just rushing through it because I knew that, well, I can just continue. And I was losing 10 lives per level sometimes, just trying brute force again and again and again, thinking that, okay, I will made it eventually. And then I realized, why am I not trying to play well this game? And maybe it would be too harsh now to suggest that the game shouldn't allow you to continue. But if it had been an arcade game, you would have had to pay more quarters, so to speak, to continue. And that would definitely encourage you to play well, not just recklessly. And in this case, at some point, it felt like I was just really uh, rushing too much through the game just to get to the ending. And that wasn't right. So I, I had to, I had to s- slow myself down and think, no, no, right. Try to get to win the next level, the next levels, by playing properly. I I didn't have this experience. I, I felt always like a constant challenge. And I think if they didn't have the continue method, I probably would have stopped. I wouldn't have gone over and over and started from the beginning again. If they didn't have the password way, the password method, I would have not done it. The password is a, is a good idea. Maybe I, I, maybe, well, if it's, every single level with a password it's the same as the ability to continue indefinitely and that would be just the annoyance of typing the password every time and it would make things even worse but what if the game had a password every five levels? Yeah, that would work for me as well. I mean, I had the experience for me, what I could perceive is that I was getting better every time so the game over and then I would start again I would get a little bit better and die again sometimes it felt like it was just luck but most of the time, I felt I was getting better and better and better slowly and I, until I made it through the level. So I had a bit of a different experience from you. It's interesting. Yeah, overall, that maybe I sounded like a bit too critical today, but uh, I did have fun anyway. It's it's And as I said, I really like the look and the sound of this game. It's, um, it's a fun little game that I think it, it it's well done overall. Yes, one gripe with the design and a lot of, another little bug, but that's okay. I think we both enjoyed this game from Amiten. We forgot to mention the authors. So it's a group uh, of people. Do you want to say what's next? Yeah, you can, you can say it because you have chosen it. I have chosen a game from the Amstrad CPC 464 or 6128, and I have chosen... The Abduction of Oscar Z, or Oscar Z, or Oscar Zeta, however you want to say it. It looks like a great game, um, so I can't wait to play it, and I hope you guys are going to play it along with us. Before we say goodbye, again, shout out to the guys at Retro Asylum for the kindness and hosting our channel in their Discord server. And everyone over there is always supportive, and you know I can't thank them enough. And if you want to play along with us for the next episode, uh, please do so. We will be delighted about it. If you want to uh, send us your comments or your audio clips, please send them to game at new game on flame or on the Discord server. We have our own Discord server as well that you can reach by visiting our website newgameonflame.com and clicking the Discord link there. 
If you're posting clips, please post them within five days or six days before the episode airs so we can include them, and that would be great. If you want to ask us any questions, write to them at the same address, game, newgameoldfame.com. We'll read them on the show. If we can, we will answer them. I think um, that's all. Uh, and until next time, keep safe and have a nice time in this heat. And of course, happy retro gaming to all. Mm-hmm.